0: I'm Piper. And I'm Erin. Welcome to Off the Tracks podcast, where we explore what it means to do law differently. Today's episode is in partnership with Lawbroker, legal's first customer experience platform powered by lawyers. Lawbroker is a recommendation and matching platform that helps drive new business to solo and small practices throughout Canada. With its mission to simplify the accessibility of legal services, Lawbroker has built a platform that mimics everyday consumer applications, bringing familiarity and convenience to the legal industry. As a lawyer, you make the first move, opening up an entirely new revenue stream for your practice, all while putting you in control of your own demand. Today
1: is the season finale of Off the Tracks, and we are excited to be joined by Daniel Steinberg. Daniel is the co-founder and CEO of Lawbroker. A platform helping connect consumers with lawyers for everyday legal needs. Daniel is only our second non lawyer on the pod and a very special friend and guest of the podcast, as Lawbroker is our first sponsor. We can't wait to dive into what Daniel and Lawbroker have been up to. So thank you so much for joining us.
0: So, Daniel, we are so psyched you're here, and it was so cool when we got to connect um, back in April. I think that that was so um, fun and exciting and, like, really unexpected for Aaron and I to start this partnership and, like, build this relationship and learn more about not just Law Broker, but you. Um, You have such a cool background and sort of such a cool story about how you got to where you are today. And we would love if you could just tell us a little bit about how your career evolved over time and how you've connected those dots.
2: All right. Yeah. Thank you both for having me on today's podcast. It's super exciting and a special moment for me as well. For Law Broker, you're our first sponsorship um, from a business perspective. And it's been so exciting to align with, you know, two mission-driven individuals like yourselves that are working to break down barriers within the legal segment that is very much similar to what Law Broker stands for and what we're trying to do. With regards to my career path and journey to how I got here, uh, it's quite an interesting one for me uh, to where I've become an entrepreneur. Uh, For me, it was always a prescriptive, how do I become a first time founder and do something on my own that can sort of help elevate and build something that is I'm passionate about that solves, you know, a problem that problem space that people uh, need support in that we can sort of help drive success towards. So for me, my career path started as an accountant. Uh, I was a, you know, I studied business and accounting at Western University uh, for the hopes to be an accountant working in small practice. And the goal for that was how do I learn from, you know, CEOs and C-level executives running their own businesses so that I could one day be a first time founder. And then I quickly realized that that wasn't a career path for me. And I have to be super passionate about the things that I do and and what I want. And for me, that just wasn't it at the time. Uh, So I decided I'd pivot. And if I ever became an entrepreneur, I'd hire an accountant or CPA to help support the business. And now we're here. So still looking towards which one that will be. But uh, from there, I went into tech sales. I wanted a really strong baseline for how do I sell myself, sell a business, and quite frankly, be okay with being told no. Uh, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if Erin's told anyone this story, but her company blocked me uh, because I tried to block or I tried to cold call her and sell her on, I don't know, day four of me starting law broker without being live. So, uh, you know, and now we're here, it comes full circle and I'm, you know, paying her to have me on the podcast. So it's great. You got to love how it works, but that's what uh, being a salesperson takes. And for being an entrepreneur, super important to learn how to sell yourself, sell a business and just have a great baseline for having conversations and, you know, interacting with different types of people and and being able to converse in a setting like we are today. Um, And then I followed into a world of partnerships to really understand how to operate organizationally in different uh, cross departments through marketing, sales, customer success, executive level leadership, and so forth. And that bridged me into the world of legal because I was actually working for Clio which I'm sure has been mentioned many times on this podcast before, and I'm sure many listeners use it today. Uh, If you do not, it's, you know, Legal's number one practice management solution. And I was running partnerships there for two years. So I worked with consulting partners, people that helped elevate uh, law firms operationally by implementing different technologies and solutions on top of Clio, uh, which, you know, bridged my gap into also running the app ecosystem at Clio and working with different technology partners Um, to be able to support different practices, dependent on practice area, size of firm and so forth. And that's where, um, I found this gap in the market. I was working with Google, uh, to digitize law firm storefronts. And I found this gap where it was extremely hard for solo and smalls to stand out and be in control of their own demand. And, uh, long story short, and I'm sure we'll get into it later on this conversation, but that's what really bridged the gap for me to find law broker and become an entrepreneur.
1: Okay. And also I just have to say that we have now rectified the situation, but I do have to say Smith AI is my receptionist company and they are like an iron wall. It is so hard to get in touch with me through my office number, which is excellent because I was having so many issues when I first started as a solo that I just kept answering every phone call that I got. And then every phone call would you know, get me distracted and then I would never get anything done. So I'm so sorry that we didn't connect back uh, when Law Broker was starting out, but so happy that we were able to reconnect in other ways. But just a very exactly. funny
2: story. <laughs> funny story and shout out Smith AI. I love them. I used to work with Maddie Martin over there <laughs> all the time at Clio. So shout out Smith AI for being an absolute gatekeeper to every salesperson that calls you Law <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we would love to know more about, I know you kind of touched on it, but you know, more about how the law broker idea came about and how it works and how lawyers can get involved.
2: Yeah, so it's it's interesting. So my background when I started in sales was actually in advocacy marketing. And advocacy marketing, if you aren't familiar with that terminology, it's really more around building your reputation in an online presence. That could be via Google reviews, referrals, online community, references, and so forth. And I was selling that on an enterprise level for two plus years. So I was selling to massive corporations like Microsoft, Intuit, Salesforce, and so forth. And my job there was how do I build and use your customers as your biggest, quote unquote, advocates to sell your business for you? And that's where my worlds sort of collided when I was over at Clio, because again, like I told you, I was always going to be an entrepreneur. It was more just a matter of when, and it was more around how do I bridge the gap in a couple of different areas that I've seen before and make that really efficient and something that maybe isn't existent today. And when I was working at Clio and I was working with Google on digitizing a law firm storefront, um, there was this, there was this gap from a review and a reputation management perspective, which was legal, as you all know, is not commoditized. The typical average is leveraging a lawyer one to three times in your life. And although reviews are incredibly important to build your online presence, there is this space that exists where solo and small practitioners are very hard to be able to be exposed via Google do their algorithm, because you're not getting enough reviews, you can't necessarily outspend mid-sized firms. So although reviews are important and building your presence is important, you still might be on the back half of Google for consumers to actively not find you. So although reviews are ex- extremely important as a whole, what I find within the legal space is with an uneducated consumer on a legal transaction that they've never done before, reviews start to distill a little bit further into how do I know who the right lawyer is for me? How do I know who the best lawyer is to help me in this specific situation based off availability, timeliness, my geographic location? And what that all came together as is there are so many different technologies that exist in our day-to-day lives that are more on-demand experiences that don't take reviews per se into consideration as a top factor because of the need for um, a customer experience first approach, and when you think about that, we think about the likes of Uber and DoorDash and Shopify e-commerce stores, where it's more around how do I get to point A to B when I need it, as opposed to is my driver going to get me there safely? And it's something that doesn't necessarily you know track in the back of your head, but it is an important factor. You're jumping in a car going from point A to point B, and you're technically putting your life in someone's hands now. Obviously, there is a review component, but you're jumping that car no matter what in that sort of capacity. So when we start thinking about the the reason we started Law Broker and the way that we think about it, it's actually trying to bridge different industries and bring that into the legal sector to help modernize it a little bit further, while also putting lawyers a little bit more in control and supporting the consumer through a very confusing and stressful situation. So what we did is we said marketplaces are great for a specific type of user. You give consumers a great exposure into the type of lawyer they're connecting with, maybe other reviews that their peers might have reviewed them on and the way that they think about that specific legal case. But there is another consumer which is highly confused, stressed, and quite frankly, doesn't know where to go when thinking about the legal journey. That's where LawBroker comes into play. We simplify the experience for the consumer by providing them a very short opportunity to share a little bit more about their case. And then on the back end, our technology takes into uh, consideration different sort of factors that actually push to lawyers on our platform. And we then provide a prescriptive recommendation to that consumer to remove the analysis paralysis of, oh my God, there's 50 lawyers on Google How do I know who to go to and why? And quite frankly, how do I know who's going to pick up my call during that time of day? And one of the biggest issues we're trying to solve for is you both being in professional services, the staggering stat is 57% of law firms don't call you back. And we're in the professional services game. But quite frankly, those things just slip through the cracks. And maybe it's because you didn't get, you know, the the note from the, the virtual receptionist or you got tied up in a legal engagement and it's been five days and you're like, you know what, they probably don't need my support anyways at this point. But the the likelihood that they do is actually quite high. And that's where law broker comes into play. We put the lawyer in control and say, can you actively help this consumer? Yes, no. If yes, raise your hand quote unquote virtually and we'll match you with that consumer and meet the consumer's expectations where they want them. And that's the approach that we take when thinking about law broker.
1: Yeah, I think it's really neat. I am just starting to play around with it as I just signed up on the lawyer side of it. So it's it's interesting to, um, to be able to log on and just sort of say, you know, okay, I actually do have time for this right now. Let me see if I can help out. Or like earlier today, I was dealing with other stuff. I didn't see a notification and it was gone by the time I got there, but it's okay because I was busy. So it's, they're better off served by whoever was able to help them out at that time. So it's, it's an interesting concept and I'm, I'm excited to play around with it a bit more since I'm pretty new to it, but it's uh it's pretty cool from the lawyer's side too.
2: And just, and just to show everyone on this, on this podcast, how hard you work, I'm pretty sure you picked up a case at like 9 30 PM on a Friday night or something like that. If I'm not mistaken, so that's sort of the the pros and cons of law broker, right? You pick it up when you're potentially available, and you don't when you're not. And I think that's the importance. There is it's it's really your prerogative to say yes or no at whatever moment in time is valuable for you. Uh, Obviously, I'm not sure what you were doing on Friday night, but maybe the movie you were watching was boring. I don't know.
1: I I I, am struggling to remember what I did on Friday night. Yeah, couldn't
2: have
1: been that important.
0: I mean, I love how, like, it appears to me that law broker gets the right people to the right people. So it gets the consumer to someone who will be able to help solve their problem, but then it also gets the lawyer in front of the types of people who have problems that they can solve. And so it really appears to be a win-win for everyone involved. And it's so exciting to see a piece of technology and like an organization with a mission to really just like help people have more wins in their daily lives. So we know, Danielle, that you love to help, not just like, people in the legal community have, and like consumers have those wins, but we also know that you like love to see your team win, which is part of the reason why we love law broker and have so enjoyed getting to know you. And so we saw that just the other day you were talking about on LinkedIn about how law broker had their first ever curiosity day. And we would love to hear a little bit more about what sparked this and how you implemented it with your team and kind of what it means for anyone listening who might not, who might not know.
2: Yeah, lovely. Curiosity day. Got some good buzz on LinkedIn. Um, here's our thought process on it. So for me, uh, I think as a startup founder, so for those of you listening, we are a startup. We're about 10 months old now. Our team is about seven uh, that has interns on top of that. Um, but what's, what's really important to think about as a startup founder is when you are um, building from the ground up, the person, i.e. the CEO, Daniel Steinberg, and the CTO potentially are really driving the directive of the company. And that's great. But the reason you hire such a diverse team is because you want diverse set of different opinions to be able to ultimately grow the business in a couple of different angles and areas that maybe you as the founder don't necessarily think because you come from different walks of life and areas and things like that. And it is part of our our values as a team and the way that we hire and think and so forth. And recently, um, I found that a lot of our team has been very much grinding towards areas that we need to push out different product towards. And because of that, I think that the directive comes a lot from me as the CEO. And that's fine to a specific capacity. But I do think that our team needs one day a month per se to essentially sit back and say, I'm not working on designing or implementing X feature function of law broker, because I need a day to be able to think differently, go and learn something new and ultimately craft this creativity or curiosity that ultimately helps spark a stronger mentality for the company. And when I was thinking about it, uh, my co-founder James and I were, were grabbing dinner in Toronto. He's from Montreal and everything happens over a good Chinese food dinner. Uh, but we were there for a couple of hours just thinking about different ways to grow the company as a whole, bring in different ideas and nuances because you can't, you can only go so far with one person's idea or one person, person's vision. And really for me, it was about, okay, how do we let people take this sort of decompressed brain activity and say, go do what you want? And it's not so much of a you have a day off situation as it is you have a, You have a day to go do something that you enjoy and then come back the next day or next week being very energized going into the next month for us to brainstorm and understand what did you learn and why tell the team something right teach us something new and whether that has anything to do with law broker or technology or anything like that it's quite awesome to see the way that people think and how they think differently which might actually impact law broker in the future But we would never know that until we actually had those discussions. And that's sort of why we implemented one of these days at the company. And today was our first debrief. And it was fun. It gave everyone this re-energizing piece that said, okay, let's jump into June. Here's some ideas. Here's some fun. Here's some planning. Let's jump into June and get back into work. And that's sort of what what it's all about.
0: I love this idea and I am so jealous and I'm about to sound so silly, but when I was in my undergraduate degree, I really pushed to try and have what was known at the time as a free school day. And the idea behind that is that for like one day on campus, you would go, there would be like introductory classes across campus and you would go to classes like that weren't in your discipline to kind of just like be curious and like be creative and um, have ideas sparked. Nobody was on board, Um, but it's cool to hear that like law broker is implementing a similar idea. Um, And I think that that's something that like more places need to do. And it just shows that like, even as like a young startup, you are innovating internally and also like for the community that you're building this platform for. And I think that that's so great because so often You can see companies doing really cool, innovative work, but maybe their internal policies and politics are really stuck in the past. And it makes it like a weird dichotomy of, well, what does this company really stand for? But with law broker, you really like walk the talk, talk the walk, the walk, walk the talk, whatever the phrase is. And it's just like, it's really great to see. And it just shows that like you're building a community that you believe in and like you would actually want to be a part of.
2: Yeah, thank you. I, I hope we continue it in and inspire others for sure.
0: Yes. Obviously, we like to ask that
1: question at the end of every podcast episode as well, because I just find it so cool to learn what other people have been learning. And I genuinely just get so curious to hear what other people are doing with their free time and to see what others are up to. So it's really cool to see that you've been incorporating that into your business and uh, fostering that sort of curiosity within law broker. But um, it's kind of circling back to your own personal career and trajectory. You know, you've had a few different career paths, but what has been your favorite mo- memory or your proudest moment from your career?
2: Yeah, uh, I love this question. There's so much that happens as a career. It's actually hard to like think back about what was like this most powerful moment as the career. Um, but there is one, and I, it's funny cause I actually kind of alluded to it and why I was okay with the fact that you completely blocked me and cut me off. And I still gave you money to sponsor this podcast, but it all comes full circle. I think one of the most impactful moments of my career was, um, that, that really does set you up for success. And I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more afterwards, but one of the most memorable pieces of my career was my first day, at least on the phones at my first, sales job at a company called Influitive, which was the advocacy marketing company. We were selling to enterprises. There was this really hot startup. They were a mid-sized firm, had to be about 400 employees at that time. I was obsessed with them. I loved them. I wanted to sell to them so badly. I needed to get into their into their, into their, their uh, CMO. And I literally took my phone and I used to stand in this stall at Influitive because I was scared that other people would listen to me uh, because I had such a good sales pitch at the time. It was day one. And I was sitting in the phone booth and I picked up my my AirPods and I put them in and I phoned the CMO. I, I think we use these systems that give people cell phone numbers and things like that. And he answered, first ring. And I said, hi, is this so-and-so? And he said, yes, who are you? And I gave him about two seconds of who I am. And He literally said, F off and hung right up on me. And I might be the only person on day one at any sales job to be like, that was the biggest fire up of all time. I was so happy that he answered that I didn't even think about the fact that he literally told me to get lost, never call me back again. And I thought I was the best person, best salesperson of all time because I got a connection. Um, enterprise sales and sales in general is so hard. If you haven't tried cold calling before, it is extremely difficult to even get someone on a phone. And the reason why it was such an important call, it's such an important memory to my career. Is it really teaches you how to be strong-willed and strong sent and not be so sensitive to other people around you. Not your, your product might not be for everyone. Uh, the way you talk to someone might not be for everyone. But if you create these human interactions, that's the importance to actually selling and having meaningful conversations moving forward. And it's a long-term game. And you don't realize that until you have that first interaction. That I had on day one of that company. And it set me up for success because there's no hard feelings. It doesn't put you down. You continue calling, you continue emailing, you continue following up. And you need to have that experience to be able to succeed in all things sales. And the reason I went into sales was to keep this baseline of success for how do I sell myself and a business at one point in time in my future? And I think everything you do is selling yourself or selling something around you. And it is so incredibly important to not hold grudges or be so uh, dissatisfied or concerned about something that happens in the past because it's actually a great learning experience. And it all comes full circle. And we're just going to keep playing on this, Aaron, because I love you. But I mean, it all comes back to the fact that those little things don't matter. That is just the nature of the beast. And if you know how to do it and if you know how to sell, and if you're comfortable with that situation then you can really do anything and you can move on with your with your career or your day or your you know your next phase of the week. And I think it was such an important learning moment of my career, even though I never sold to that company. Um, but I did get into their offices in Boston as an in-person. We just never closed the deal. But the idea is you continue to make those connections and use that as an experience and leverage it to try and get in another way or another door. And that's the value, right? I messaged Piper because I knew you ignored me and all of a sudden we're in this, you know, we're in this situation. So that's the art of selling. And I think you don't learn that until you have such an incredible, powerful moment like that one.
0: I, I, Daniel, I love everything about that. And, um, I love the, the teasing. It's very funny. Um, especially now that Aaron is working with lawbroker and we are here having this conversation, but, um, I love the way that you reframed what others might view as a setback as like a really proud and fantastic learning moment for you. But so on the flip side, has there been a significant setback that you've faced in your career? And I'm sure that you're going to hit us with like a very minuscule moment that something very profound came from. And I'm very excited to hear what, what that might be.
2: Yeah. Um, again, setbacks are, um, it depends how you look at setbacks. I look at setbacks as opportunities and you just mentioned that yourself, right? A lot of people look at, you know, Setbacks as a setback, and think about that for a long period of time. I look at every setback as an opportunity, uh, especially from a career perspective. So for me, um, one of what could be perceived as the biggest setbacks was I quit a big four accounting company uh, before I even started. I mentioned my career path. I had hopped around in many different places, and again, a lot of it was prescriptive to get me to be a first-time founder and a strong operator. But I didn't go down the path that I thought I would, which was how do I become a strong auditor and learn from different executives? I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't necessarily care for it. It wasn't a fit for me. And I quit before I started. I was supposed to work at EY at a signed contract and everyone looked at me like I was crazy. And, you know, it set me back in the sense that I was lost and I was unsure like what my next career move was, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew it wasn't necessarily that. And I think that I look at it from a learning perspective where sometimes you actually need to be lost to find like what you love or what you want to do, because I do believe success comes in being passionate about specific things that you're, you really want to do. And you know, a big four accounting firm is fantastic for some people, but not for everyone. And it's hard to carve a really strong career path of success if you're not passionate about what you're doing. So that was a setback for me. And a lot of people look at that as, you know, that's a crazy thing to do. This is such a good career. This is such a good moment. How could you commit to quitting before you've even given it a try? Um, But it just, for me, wasn't, wasn't something I was passionate about and wanted to, you know, continue exploring during that time. So I looked at it as an opportunity and I ended up falling in love with, you know, the art of selling and enterprise sales and technology and ultimately it got me to become a first-time founder in a space that I was unfamiliar with, but I had a background in professional services. So it bridged this gap in the legal space that I was familiar with to an extent being in accounting for an X period of time.
1: Yeah. I think that is a really great mindset and probably has served you well as you have gone through your career, but thank you very much for sharing. And it's always nice to hear how, Others in other career paths have dealt with these uh, sorts of issues. As I know, in law, we deal with our own sets of challenges, but um, thank you very much for sharing with us sort of how you've reframed things and, and grown. Um, what is one thing that you wish you could change, or maybe you already are changing it as we speak about the legal profession?
2: Yeah, the legal profession is tough. Everyone listening to this call, I hope I gave you a little bit of sales tidbits. Um, that's my one goal for today's call. If you take anything from my craziness and, and fun and friendliness, I hope you learn a little bit about selling and perseverance to customers that don't pick up the phone. Um, but that's what I I honestly do hope that I can and wish I can change. I think that there is a very big gap in education um, on both the consumer side and the lawyer side, I'll start on the consumer side because I think there's this consumer problem that exists that makes it quite difficult and challenging for you know, lawyers starting their own practices um, and growing their firms accordingly. But the unfortunate reality is that there is this moment, and I talked about it before and part of the reason I started law broker, but there is this moment of confusion when it comes to consumers. They have never worked with a lawyer before they don't understand what a legal engagement looks like. They are super uneducated because it is just not a commoditized service. And something that I really hope that we can continue to spark change in by creating this simplistic approach and elevating individuals themselves is what is the value of a lawyer and what is the value of a legal case and how do you think about your legal case in specific? When people go blind into something, That they've never done before, it's so hard for them to recognize and understand what value you as a lawyer are presenting them and what the perceived uh, value really is. And as soon as they hear a dollar number, they get scared. But what they're starting to lose is this aspect of what is the value in protecting yourself and protecting your assets? That is the value of legal. That is the aspect of why you're even looking for legal representation. It all comes back to how much do you think is valuable to protect you, your assets, and your family. Uh, One of the greatest sort of examples in legal is wills and estates. I think it's so interesting that 51% of Canadians don't have a will. Um, They're not protecting themselves. They're not protecting their assets. They're not protecting their families. It's probably the one practice area in law that you can convince someone they need a lawyer for um, that they actively aren't looking for. And part of the reason they don't is because they have this sort of internal debate with themselves, which is, can I afford to pay to protect myself? And I think the secondary factor to this whole education piece is it is the duty of the lawyer to educate the consumer on why they should be protecting their assets. And that's the secondary function, which is how do we as law broker or myself on this sort of podcast for a couple of minutes educate the lawyer on how do we be super prescriptive in the way that we sell our legal services it shouldn't necessarily be a price tag approach it should be followed up through consistent communication walking through the customer experience walking through the timeline and providing realistic expectations on what price points are if someone comes to you and says this costs x and you've never done it before you're going to be taken back I remember when I was getting my IP and trademark for law broker. I had never done that before, and the lawyer I was working with um, in the U.S. because we're you know we were trademarking North American wide. Uh, she gave me a price, and I was like, "Holy, are you are you serious?" She's like, "Yeah, that the average cost is X." And all of a sudden, I felt so much more comfortable and confident because I understood the baseline and benchmarks. And doing something as little as that is so helpful because it actually provides the consumer something that they didn't know before and it gives them that baseline. If you throw it a number, it's hard for someone to resonate with. And they're just going to keep calling different lawyers until they get a number that is good for them. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best lawyer for them. So that's where I want to take this, you know, company, that's where I have passion for is how do we change the landscape of education uh, for something that is, you know, a lack thereof in both the consumer and lawyer side in some capacity.
1: I think that's really interesting, too, because one of, you know, those LinkedIn posts that seem to go viral a lot is lawyers kind of chiming in on what exactly it is that lawyers sell. (laughs) And, you know, like lawyers have a wide variety of ideas of what they sell. Um, And I think that that's really interesting and goes back to that point of like we don't really have it commoditized or we don't really have like the value or the the meat of it to, uh, to show to consumers usually like a lot of law firms, even including my own, which I keep meaning to do, like don't have their prices listed, you know, like there's a lot behind the wall that, that consumers don't see. And it's hard to make informed decisions when you don't know what the, you know, the average market price is, and you don't know what the value and what you're getting is. And yeah. i have this like really weird story, but the other day, um, I it was Saturday and I was so tired. I meant to clean all day because it was a really rainy day and I was falling asleep reading my book and I was just like so tired and I was like, I'm not going to be able to clean the house like I wanted to. And tomorrow is a gorgeous day and I could stay home and clean my apartment or I could go out on a really beautiful hike with my wife and my dog and then like enjoy a beautiful Sunday. and live with like a messy house. Um, but instead what I did was I took some of the money from my birthday money (laughs) that my mom gave me and I've hired like a task rabbit to come and help me, uh, clean a little bit on Tuesday. And it's like, yes, the dollar value of what they're coming to do is X. And it's really not that bad. Um, And so cheesy that that's what I decided to spend my birthday money on, but whatever. Um, But the value of it was that I got to enjoy my Sunday and know that there's going to be help on Tuesday to like clean the areas of my apartment that I just have been neglecting or like, you know, I, I didn't really want to spend my Sunday cleaning out a bathtub or doing the baseboards. Even though I do like cleaning and I can do it, the value was that I got to do something fun and exciting on my Sunday instead of like sitting around um and scrubbing and then yeah I don't know I just that that kind of what the value is sometimes I get really um bogged down and like oh my client could do this on their own and it's like yeah that's not the point someone could go on write their own will (laughs) they could but would it be the best will that will protect their interests and assets and protect them down the line and will they be able to do that without you know, spending their whole Sunday <laughs> researching how to do it themselves? And, and will it even be any good at the end of the day? So I don't know. That's just kind of what comes to mind as you're talking about this. What's, no, it's, the, it's what's tr- the value? It's
2: true. <laughs> it's true. And part of that is how do you make customer experience first, price sensitivity second, right? And that's something that we hone in on so much at Law Broker, which is How do we create such a strong experience where you are actually de-stressed during such a stressful situation that you don't need to think about anything else besides the most important factor of the legal journey which is actually getting legal representation if we can remove that friction the hope is you're not really thinking about what is the price sensitivity it's not like Aaron and Piper's hourly rates are that much different right we're all talking about solo and small practitioners the nuance between $100 versus you know 2 or 300 is not that substantial if you are working with the appropriate lawyer that is actually valuable to you and and that's what is is impactful and powerful with with at least a platform like ours and yeah
1: yeah well thank you so much for sharing i've had such a great time just sort of chatting through these ideas learning a bit more about law broker and learning more about your career and I know I hinted at this earlier, but we're going to circle back and, uh, come back at you with our favorite question, which is what is something new that you've learned recently?
2: Yeah. I don't know where recently dates back to, but I'm going with this one because I think it's just so powerful as an entrepreneur, but for other people to think about too. And it's something that I really talk to all of our lawyers about, um, a really good friend of mine. He's also a fellow entrepreneur. His name is Jake Carl's. He owns a company called Midday Squares. It's a, uh, functional chocolate bar company, obviously Piper, you're freaking out, you know it. Um, but something that they talk about so much in their messaging and something that he's so good at reminding people of is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think the reason this resonates so much with me and the legal industry as a whole is like the, the idea of technology and diff- and diversification of marketing spend and s- all these different buzzwords in order to progress your practice and be different is uncomfortable in every situation that you splice and dice it. And every conversation that I have with lawyers is, should I do this? Should I not? What if it this, that, whatever? And we could talk about those things left, right, and center. But the idea is if you don't dip your toes and try something new, you're not going to activate a different type of clientele that you might not receive in other areas of your practice. And it's so important to try something new and, and use technology to grow your practices or at least help diversify your firm. A lot of these types of technologies aren't going to shape the way that you run your practice. They're not your operating systems. But if you think about the way that different um, industries have penetrated it, you think about something as simple as uh, Uber Eats and a restaurant. Every restaurant wants you to come to their counter so that they save 20%. But they have to be on Uber Eats because some consumers are lazy and hungry and need it in an on-demand experience. If you're not there, you're not going to capture that client's attention. And you're not even going to care about the fact that you lost 20% because you actually lost 100% of what you didn't get. And I think that's the importance that I talk about every single time we speak to lawyers, which is, I understand this is uncomfortable for you. I understand buying a piece of technology is weird and different and perceived as expensive. But if you don't try it, and if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, you can't really see the way that your, your practice could be reshaped or reformed. And It's something that I think about every single day in the way that we build Law Broker, but the other ways that we also talk to lawyers about every single day in their practices.
0: I I love that so much. And I really do believe that change begins outside of your comfort zone. And thank you for leaving us with that, Daniel. And thank you so much for spending time with us today and for getting to know us over the past few months. And a huge thank you to you and Law Broker at Large for supporting Off the Tracks podcast. It has been such a pleasure. And I know that Aaron and I were so looking forward to this episode and it's just been so much fun and just the start of something really wonderful. So thank you so much for everyone tuning in today. This concludes our second season of Off the Tracks, and we are so excited to spend the summer developing new ideas for season three. But in the meantime, you can catch up with past episodes and you can follow us on Instagram at Off the Tracks Podcast, and we hope everyone has a great summer.
1: Thank you again to our partner, Lawbroker, legal's first customer experience platform powered by lawyers. To learn more, visit lawbroker.com and see how you can join the movement to become a modern lawyer.